God, as I heard that, that song, uh, I know so many of us are in that place or that wounded place is that maybe it's maybe it's scabbed over a little bit but if we just scratch a little it'll start to bleed again some of us are afraid to be here today because we don't want to feel it again and we look to you for comfort we look to you for wisdom and we pray that we can we can learn but that we can experience as well so touch our hearts, speak to our lives. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Okay, here comes the hard part. That was an unbelievable song that created an unbelievable moment for everybody in there. I get that. And I, at the risk of stripping gears, I have to go back and do some, some building on what we did last time together. So the topic of tonight, we're going to get to in, in the latter half, but in the front half, I need to, rem I mean, it's been half a month since we've been together. I, I, I need to kind of retrace and, and build another layer on if you can be with me. So when we were together last time, if you can remember that far back, um, we talked about spiritual growth, spiritual transformation, becoming the people that God made us to be. And we said it occurs when God leads us to change in our, in our thinking. And so that, that spiritual change doesn't happen magically but it happens it happens through the ears and, and and the head and the way we process and and where did that come from we didn't make that up i didn't make that up it came from paul in romans 12 too we said it's that he said don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world the customs of this world would include the thinking the way of being the way of living of of this world but let god change you transform you and me of course into a new person by changing the way you think. And we talked about how when we use the word think, we in the West think of think very logically, like how we get from point A to point B to point C and then wrap it up with a conclusion. We're trained to think that way. It's a Western way of approaching. But when we go to biblical times, it wasn't a Western thing. It was an Eastern thing. And in the East, the word think would include much more, not only how we come to it, the, the, the deductions we come to, but but our emotional thoughts. So, you know, you have, you have Logical thoughts and emotional thoughts and, and feelings, they come out that kind of way. And our, our, the way we react to things and, and people and situations, assumptions that we make about anything and everything, it would include all of our culture, our, our biases. All of those kinds of things are part of who we are in, in the way that, that we think. And we said, so when we change those things, now I'm talking about in a positive direction, in a godly way, change those things, it, it is growth. I mean, growth implies something is changing. Something's getting, getting bigger, getting deeper. So I want to give you kind of an example that I think some of us have tasted in this world. Okay? I'm going to talk about some doctrinal truth just for a moment. So here's just doctrin doctrinal stuff is just like, here's a statement. It's true. It's about God. Okay, that's doctrine. So God is good, right? That's, that almost every church in the world would, would say, you know what? We're, we've come to this conclusion that God is good. Further, God loves me. Right? We, we hold that one high. God is good, right? And, and God loves me. And God has my best in mind. Very few people will argue with any of those, those things. Now, we're going to take a little bit of a leap. And I don't think it's a big leap. The leap is this. If that's true, then God promises comfort and prosperity if I follow him. 
right? If that's true, if God is, if God is good and God loves me and God wants my best, then prosperity and comfort, those are things that are, I expect that from him as I, as I follow him. And then I start living my life and it doesn't work out that way. Not exactly. Experience gets, I lose my job. I get cancer. My kids discover free will, right? And, and, and <laughs> that's a painful moment for every parent, right? But they start to do things that you don't approve of, believe things you don't agree with, right? And, and you, you're not prospering economically and your health is at risk or someone in your family system. And all of a sudden, you go, I'm not so sure that God is good because my life isn't so good. I'm not sure that God loves me because if he loved me, I'd have a job. I'd be prospering. And I'm not sure God has my best in mind. I got, I got cancer and my kids are running around and I followed him and I thought if I followed him and I went to church and I prayed and I tithed and I gave generously and I read my Bibles, then, then my kids would turn out the way that I dream of them turning out. And yet they're not. And nor is my life. And all of a sudden, when, when you're in that place, you're going to start to ask some very, very serious questions because you had an operating paradigm that God promises comfort and prosperity if I follow him. And now, now experience is going, ah, that's not true. That's not true. This is the point, by the way, where many people go, I'm not following God anymore. I tried it. it did. Have you ever heard someone say this? It didn't work. It did. This is where people give up on prayer. Why? Because I tried praying, and it didn't work. It didn't, he didn't answer all my prayers the ways that I thought he should. So you know what? Prayer doesn't work. God doesn't work, and, and I give up on him. But no matter what, when you run into, I believe this, and life experiences are different than that, you're going to have a paradigm shift. Right? You can look at that one. That's, that's, that's exactly what a paradigm shift. Everything looks different outside of whatever shell you've been living in. And now you look at the world and you go, whoa, maybe it's not what I thought it was. I made some assumptions that don't seem to stack up against, against real life, right? If you've gone through that, congratulations, you're alive and you're thinking and you're experiencing life. If you haven't gone through it, if you haven't gone, just wait for it. It'll come. It'll, 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 there'll be challenges to the way you think. The way life experience will be different than the way you think it, it should go. So transforming people, people who are growing spiritually, continue to think, feel, react, and assume differently. They, they're changing things. This is, what we, this is all what we talked about last time to kind of set up this, this growth of what we're going to get from Jesus' words when we start talking about the Beatitudes in just a few minutes. But listen to what Paul wrote and see if it kind of connects with us. This is Ephesians chapter 4, 14 and 15. He says this, Then we will be no longer immature like children. Right? So he's saying we're going to grow up. We're going to change. We won't be tossed and blown around by every wind of new teaching. Right? We're not going to be... Every, we'll be more stable in, in, our, in our walks. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies. So, so clever that they sound like truth. Can I just tell you something? If somebody tells you if you follow Jesus, the rest of your life is going to go very smoothly... That's a, that's a tricky teaching because God does love you. God does want your best. we got to talk about those things, right? And, and he's got your best in mind. He's that God, and he's good, so good. But when we've been influenced by people who try to take us with lies, so clever they sound like truth, instead we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more like Christ. 
You know, I used to think that meant we'll be more moral, like Jesus was moral. Now, these days, I'm thinking we'll start to think more like Jesus thought. Right? Not, not behave more like Jesus, not know everything. You know, some people go, Doug, you should be more like Jesus. I said, yeah, I want to start with omniscience. <laughs> right? That means I know everything. And they say, oh, you think you already got that covered, Doug. Okay, moving on. Instead, we will speak the truth and love, growing more, more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. Now, here's the question. If, if we're supposed to be open-minded so that God can change the way we think, what guides our new thinking? Do we just live life and come to the conclusions that experiences bring to us? Ah, I guess God's not so good. I guess he's not very loving. I guess he doesn't care because my life is really hard right now. Or maybe he cares about those people because they're doing well. Right? What, what guides it? I can tell you what influences it. Your experience, like we just talked about. Your peers, will inf- the people, the voices you hear in your life from your friends, their view of the world, the view of life will influence. Our culture will influence. If, you're, you know, you're, if you have a TV, if you've got a screen or 10 screens in your life, those screens will speak, the books you read will speak in, our culture will speak into it. People you listen to, teachers, will, will speak into it. People that you respect, mentors, will speak into it. And emotions, what you feel, will speak into it. And it'll start to guide you into new thinking. But Paul says all those things need a ruler. It needs something over the top of them because those things will lead you astray and can lead you anywhere in your thinking. And he was talking about this when he, when he talking to Timothy, when he wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. You've heard this in other contexts, but, but listen to it in this context we're talking tonight. He says to Timothy, you've been taught the Holy Scripture from childhood and they have given you the wisdom or the guidance to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Right? So what's he saying? Scripture guided him with all the data he was receiving, all the things influencing him, to come to salvation. It was, it was the whole God using Scripture, the Holy Spirit using Scripture in his life. And he goes on to talk about Scripture. He says, all Scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It is the coach. It is the guide. All those other things are going to happen. We can't predict how they're going to happen. They're going to speak into our lives. That's going to take place. But Scripture corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work, to become the people we're made to be to change the way we think and be transformed. And it's a process, and it goes on for your whole life, my whole life still going on today. Our way of thinking should be, I, what I want in my life, it's, it's fed by scripture and it, it holds up to experience. Experience is a voice. You can't deny things that are real in your life, right? And observation, right? Observing what's going on in the world, other people's life, not just my life, not just my experience, but scripture over the top of that. So our thinking needs to be guided by, the, by scripture and work in real life. And this is why, by the way, if you're, if you're new around here, this is why we teach from the Bible. This is why Doug's good advice isn't good. It needs something to back it up. It needs something to be based on to guide me as I try to, try to teach, or you as you try to raise your children, or you as you teach in some other kind of atmosphere, people who are working with the kids on retreat this weekend. We rely on Scripture, and, and because it's the trump card. 
It's, it's, it's the guide. And how we think really, really matters because how we think determines how we're going to live. And how we think determines whom and how we'll love. Right? So this is, this is why we are a Bible church, Scripture-based. And it's why we're looking at the words of Jesus very, very carefully these days. It's why that, you know, I don't want you to read your Bibles every day to make you more religious. It will make you more religious because just doing that kind of stuff, going to church and reading your Bible and praying a lot, it makes you religious. It doesn't help you necessarily. It only helps you when you surrender to it, when you embrace it, when it's your guide. We used to call it, when I, when I worked in a home for semi-juvenile delinquents, you'd all be welcome there. And um, we, would talk about, we would talk about teaching them things but what we were looking for is them to internalize it. And we would talk about in those terms. You know, it's because when they went home to their home environment, they would spin out and go back to their old behaviors and we'd say, ah, oh, they never internalized it. Knowing it is one thing. Internalizing it, letting it change the way you think is completely another, another thing. So that's what we're looking for. That's what we want God to do in our lives. Now, that's the, that's the foundation for reading Scripture, but specifically what we're looking at. We're in Matthew chapter 5. And we're going really slow through 12 verses, and I promise we'll move on to a, a different topic when we're finished. But this is the first lesson of the disciples. At least it's the first one Matthew recorded. If you start with Matthew 1 and go through, you get to verse, chapter 5. Everything else is kind of foundation, groundwork, background stuff. And then he talks about his disciples, um, getting the disciples. And then he talks about the first teaching experience. And here's what he writes in Matthew 5. So this is lesson 1 coming at you from Jesus to his followers. He said, it starts off this way. One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. So the disciples at that point would have been the 12, but anybody else who came up the mountainside. Now just so you know we are geographically, we're in Israel. That is the Sea of Galilee and that, that red or that, that yellow stuff right here, that would be Jesus' prime territory for teaching. Most of his miracles, most of his teaching occurred in that, in that zone. The place they think the Sermon on the Mount took place was Mount Arbel, right? I always want to say Arbel, but it's not. It's Arbel. So Mount Arbel, and it's one of the most beautiful sites when we were in Israel last year that we went to. And I wanted you to get a, to get a glimpse of it. So you get a 40-second glimpse of Mount Arbel. On your mark, it's set. Watch this. That's Mount Arabah. And that's where Jesus was on the top with his disciples and followers teaching them. And there's a Sea of Galilee below it. And that's where those of us who went to Israel had a chance to have devotions. We all went to our separate spots and sat and prayed and read the scriptures together. And it's just an awesome experience. It's the most beautiful place you can imagine. And then, and then afterwards, after we finished praying and, and learning and discussing, we took a walk down the mountain. It looked a lot like this, right? And literally, we went down. And I think everybody in our group did it. Okay, so that's the place. By the way, now imagine this. People are following Jesus. He goes, let's go up the mountainside. Now you go, wait a minute, up the mountainside? This is not a hillside. This is a mountain. 
And we're at the top, and we have that view as he's teaching these things to us. Now, let me just pause for a moment for this moment. Okay? Because a year from this November, um, Lori and I are going back, and you could be a part of that trip. So I don't, I don't know the money. I don't know the exact dates, but it's November. We would love to have... And it, it, if you've talked to me or talked to people about on the trip, it's worth it. So start thinking now. Start planning now. That's a shameless plug. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus was teaching in the context of following him. Because if you don't understand that when we read these things, he's not teaching to people who are far away or not interested. He's talking to people who are who are his followers already or going to be his followers. I mean, they climbed up a mountain. So every time you read uh, um, Blessed Be, right, in this context, the Beatitudes that Jesus writes, you need to think, uh, as you follow me, blessed are you. Right? As you follow me in front of each, each one. This is not... It doesn't apply to everybody. It applies to those people who submit and who follow Jesus. So last week we read the first beatitude, verse 3. God blesses those, right, who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. It's not enough to be poor. There's no blessing in being poor. Most of us do everything we can to fight against it. But when you realize in your poverty, whatever kind of poverty it is, that you need God, that becomes a blessing. Because God goes, okay, I'm here. Reach me. Reach for me. Reach out to me. Call for me. I'm here. I'll invest the kingdom of heaven in you if you only look to me. So that you can go back and listen to last week's message if you missed it. Today, I want to talk about the next verse. Jesus said, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Right? And that's another one of these, ah, that doesn't sound true. It doesn't sound true. I would like to avoid mourning. I don't know about you. The key word to that passage, of course, is mourn, right? And, and we know what mourn is. It's, it's a deep sorrow by loss. And the thing about the word mourn is it sounds like what it is, right? When you hear the word mourn, it's, it's you, what's that called when it's like crash? Is that, someone know what this, a, in, there's a term? Yeah, that's why I never memorized it, because it's like more than three syllables, so I just let it go. Okay, so is it onomatopoeia, something like that? Yeah, close. Okay, so I'm going to do something that we may not do tomorrow, right? And here, here's what it is. I need those of you with lower voices. We're just going to say one word together. We're gonna, you're going to say, mourn, mourn. Okay, don't do it yet, but you're going to say that just about that pace, that fast. Now, those of you with a little higher register, male or female, not, not, I'm not talking about the sopranos yet, okay? You're going to do it twice as fast at a little bit higher note. Okay, we're going to start with the bass, and then we're going to go, I've never done this before. This may not work. <laughs> no promises. Welcome to Saturday night, okay? <laughs> and then above that, I need those of you, male and female, with higher voices to be very, very careful you don't overdo this. I need you, I don't know how to even say it, and you have to figure out what it means. I need you to weep in a mournful way. I don't want any wailing in here. This is not a Jewish funeral, okay? <laughs> just don't, that means don't go over the top with this. I just need you to try to, okay, so, so lower, guy, lower men and women, okay, so just mourn. Okay, don't get louder. Just keep it going that way. Keep it going. Okay, next layer. Hat twice as fast. I'm not hearing the sex layer. Okay, and now I want to hear the weeping. 
Okay, I want to hear people laughing at the weepers. <laughs> okay, let's do it one more time. Let's try. Okay. Uh, we could be here all night. All right, let's just give it a shot again. Okay, low guy, low people, low people. Okay, fill it in. All right, now the next layer. More and more and more and more and more and more. I got everyone, okay. And now, a little gentle weeping. No one's, no one's going to weep. Okay, good enough. All right, probably not going to happen tomorrow. All right. What I was hoping for, we probably didn't achieve, uh, is a feeling with the word that is kind of in the background of all of our lives. Yes, I did. It's in the back. There's, there is a, if you've lived long enough and tasted enough life, if you've experienced loss, there's a mourning that takes place, and it's always in your life. We were talking before the service about um, Karen and I have lost our, our moms and similar, mine 20 years ago, but hers more recently. And I said, you know, when, when, I, when I catch the perfume my mom used to wear, I'm right there again. Where it's, oh, you know, I don't think about her every day, but when I catch something that just triggers it, I'm there, I'm mourning again. And this is going to sound, some pet lovers will like this, cat lovers not so much, but my dog, <laughs> when my dog, when my dog died, I wept. I mean, it was, ah, and it's like, people go, Hey, Doug, you ready to get a new dog? Many of you have said that to me. I go, no, I'm not trying to fill that hole. I, d- I don't want to hire dog daycare again. It's not that. I miss that dog, right? And, and every time I have, this is weird, every time I have like eggs for breakfast where there's a lot of yolk, my dog was right there. <laughs> and she's not there now, right? And so the reminder, there's a, even if I'm having a really good time, I'm only a thought away from the undertow of mourning that is in my life for different losses I've had. And there's much, many, many, many more. And you relate to this. For some of us, if it's a recent thing, like not, that, not right now, I know someday, right? If it's a recent thing, you're still bleeding from it. It is the loudest sound in your life. And my fear is that when we hear Jesus say, Blessed are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. We're going, what are you talking about, Jesus? I don't see any significant difference from whether I believe in you or don't believe in you. I get this mourning to my, to my life. And Jesus says, well, here's what I promise you. As you follow me and experiencing mourning, I promise you, you will be comforted. And that's what I want to unpack just a little bit because what I did, he doesn't give us more. He doesn't go, he goes on to the next topic, the next verse. But it means we have to wrestle through it. We have to go, well, what, is, what could he be saying? What, what does mourning mean? And I'm just going to give you three ways that I've experienced mourning. One of them I've already shared with you, but an example-wise, but let me talk about it, make it real clear. Um, and then we'll say, where does comfort come from? So the first one is, I, experiencing, I experience mourning in my world. Not in your world, in, in my world. My sphere of, uh, of life. So it looks like this for me, right? There's me and mine. If, you know, when I talked about my mom, she's in the me and mine camp. When I talked about my dog, anytime I put the word my in front of it, you know it's in my little world. I don't grieve your dog. 
sorry. I mean, I can, I, can, I can give you a little bit of, you know, comfort, but I don't grieve your dog. I grieve my dog, my world, right? And then there's a layer around that that I can grieve with my neighbors. There are a lot, with my church, with, with you, when you guys come, it's not like I'm not grieving with you. I will enter your mourning because you're in my world at some level. Now, you're not my house like my dog was, <laughs> but you're in my world. And in my, my close world, my family, my friends. And then there are things that I hear about in the news and people I don't even know that I can hear about the news and I can be moved emotionally. But the closer I am to that yellow center, the more I'm going to engage in mourning. And those are the things that will trigger me. In the place. It's just, this is everyone ever. We're all this way. Right? You go, wow, Doug, you were so shallow. Yeah, so are you. Right? I mean, that's just the way we, we this is human. We, we have spheres of, of where people can touch our hearts, and this is, this is the way it works. And I think one of the things Jesus is saying, as you, in your world, my world, experience mourning, we will be comforted. And, and I'm going, okay, Jesus, how? Because it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel that way. And I think when you read through Scripture, you get glimpses of maybe what he's saying. Right? So Revelation 21 is the ultimate card for this, I think. It's, it's this, 21 verses 1 through 5. This is, by the way, this is the end. This is when Jesus comes back. This is when time becomes eternity instead of day by day. Right? He says this, Then I saw, this is John writing, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. He's having a vision. And the sea was also gone. It's the end. And then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, right? The new time period. God is, is ruling. The new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I have no idea what he saw from that description. How do you see a city dressed like a bride? I don't understand that. I don't need to understand it. It sounds awesome, right? So this, this city is coming down. God from heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband, I heard a loud shout from the throne. Who would be sitting on the throne? I think it's Jesus. Saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. He's right here. God himself will be with them. And that's all magnificent and wonderful. But listen to what John says next, what he heard from Christ. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain and all these things are gone forever. There'll be no more mourning. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. It's going to be all different. You can't imagine it, what it's going to be like. You know what? For my personal mourning, the loss of real things I think God is coming and saying, hey, this morning thing, Doug, it's temporary. It won't last. Those tears will be wiped away and everything will be made new. And the problem is when you're going through mourning, it, it doesn't seem like it's ever going to end. It seems like it's going to be forever, but there's a day coming. There's a day coming when he will wipe away every tear. My prayer when I'm going through hard things is, God, if I'm crying about this, please do not waste it. Don't waste my tears. Accomplish something bigger through them. Right? But, but it's comforting to me to know that this is, if this was it, you know, if this is as good as it gets, I wouldn't have hope. 
and I wouldn't have comfort. Paul leaned into this. He was talking about believers were dying. They thought Jesus would come back right away. He didn't. Believers are dying. They're being killed. Come see that movie. You'll kind of get a glimpse of what I'm talking about. And so in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he's talking about the fact that our friends are dying for their faith. Right? And here's what he writes. He says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers, our friends, our family, our church, who have died as, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. It's not that you don't grieve. It's that you don't grieve without hope. You grieve knowing that tears will be wiped away. You grieve knowing this is very temporary. Eternity is a very, very long time. When all things are new, it's going to go on forever. This life is so short. However old you are now, whatever pain you've had, I understand it hurts when you're in it. It's almost over. Feel better? It is. It is almost over. And I don't care how old you are or I am. And, and then, and then the tears are wiped away. And then there's no more. And I think God would say to us, you hold on to that. You live in a broken world. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. As you follow me, there might even be extra pain and suffering. We'll get into that a little later in the series. But it's part of the deal. So that's just my world, and everybody gets it. Everybody will have it unless, unless you go first, you know, young. But if you live long enough, you're going to have more and more wounds as you, as you just live. So what's the second one? The second warning of experience is for my sin. This is different. This isn't what's happened to me. This is stuff that I've done that I know is disappointing, that I know is missing the mark. It's, that's why we call it sin. And I, I don't know where you are with God, but I have this forgiven relationship with him where I, I, don't, I don't like knowing, I don't like, I have this disappointment. I don't like letting God, I don't like sinning. I mean, I like it or I wouldn't do it, but on the other hand, I don't like knowing that I did it. It's very confusing and neurotic of me. But this kind of mourning is grieving my personal sin. Here's what James said, because just listen to what he said. When, when you find yourself in sin, he said, James 4, 8 through 10, come close to God and God will come close to you. You're, when we sin, we get this distance feeling with God. It just happens. Even in Christians, it happens, because if you haven't dealt with it, it happens, right? Come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. And, you know, admit your hands are dirty is kind of where it's starting with. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God you are trying to follow God and this world. You are listening to the world. You're not transformed yet completely. None of us are. We're on our way, right? But, but we have divided loyalty. We're, our hands are dirty. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Does that not sound like mourning to you for your sin, for my sin? Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Right? It's kind of like fall down before him. God, I know who I am. I know what I've done. I know what you've done for me. I, I hate this. I hate this. Humble yourselves like that before God. Let there be tears. And here's what happens. And he will lift you up in honor. He's not saying spend the rest of your life flat in your face feeling horrible about yourself. He's saying, hey, take it seriously. Don't get glib about it. Don't sin casually and go, well, it doesn't matter because I'm forgiven. I can just live however I want to. Isn't that the beautiful thing about being in grace? 
And, and actually, someone said that to me. They said, wow, you know what? Doug, I don't know if I agree with this. Because of grace, I don't have to grieve my sin anymore. <laughs> really? Really? After Jesus died on the cross, you feel okay about just living? Well, that's not what Paul said. Romans chapter 6, he says, Under, understanding grace first, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? And he, and he said, of course not. How can, you be, how can I be so casual about what Christ died for? And I'm not trying to make us feel guilty. I just want to become the person I'm meant to be. And if I don't learn from my sin and change, I, I will continue just to take advantage of grace. And I won't grow. Since we have died to sin, since Christ has died for our sins, how can we continue to live in it? And it's just a form of mourning, the sin thing. So I want to show you a video. It's five minutes long, so you can get comfortable. It, it's Dave Robbins, who is background vocals and keyboards for a band called Blackhawk. Raise your hand if you know who Blackhawk is. You've heard him before. Oh, I'm so proud of you because it's country music and none of you have heard it, so that's good. Um, so I didn't either, but his story is incredible. And in the story, you're going to hear both of the first two kinds of mourning. Listen for it. Watch this. Fifteen months ago, I thought my life was over. I thought my marriage was over. I would lose my family. I grew up in church, knew about the Bible, knew about Jesus, but I didn't feel saved. I felt separated and ashamed and full of guilt and full of fear. Tormented. lifetime struggling with temptation. I have struggled with alcohol. I have struggled with sex, um, pornography at a very young age, and just eventually going down the path I was, and the more success I got with my career, the more I thought I could have what I wanted and do what I wanted to do. I created this dual life. I entered into a relationship outside of my marriage with someone, I'm a bad person. <laughs> you know, I kept my wife in the dark about everything. I was there, but I wasn't there. I was present, but not present. I was convinced I'm gonna leave my wife. I'm gonna leave my kids. But now I'm in so deep, I don't know what to do. I'm sunk. This is like sociopath stuff you know this is like crazy oh I can't even
I've read that infidelity is the next to the death of a child, the worst pain. You're in this pit and you don't see that there's You don't feel like there's any way out. And, and then you'd have to tell your kids. It, it is so hard to believe that anybody could come home to their family and look at them and lie to them like he did. As heartbreaking as it was, I still knew that I would be committed to my marriage vows. I knew I had to forgive him. She chose to honor God to honor our marriage by fighting for it. Dave and I were on our knees in our living room. And she started praying for me and then prayed with me. That was the night that I asked God to come to me right where I was and to rescue me and get me out of this pit that I was in. And, Even though I was in the throes of all that pain and hurt and brokenness, once we opened our eyes, I knew something had changed in Dave. He saw the beauty of the Christ for the first time. I guess that's what God does with us, you know? I guess that's what grace is. We get what we don't deserve. So he, uh, she experienced loss, incredible loss. And he experienced deep, deep grieving for his own sin. Somehow God takes those two mornings, puts them together. And he brings healing to both of them. That doesn't mean the sound of mourning is not in the background of their lives. They're still in this world. Could you hear the comfort in the morning? Let me go to the last one that I've experienced. That is, it's God's heart. And what I mean by this is, well, let me go back a step. What I mean by it is um, understanding God's heart brings a morning to my life. So let me just tell you the story of Zacchaeus real quick. Because most of you know it. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was despised by the the children of Israel, because he was working for Rome. collect Nobody likes tax collectors anyway, but he, this is, he would pocket it for himself. 
he was despised. He's a short guy, and Jesus was coming through town, and somehow he heard about Jesus, so he climbs a tree. There's been music written about this. And, um, and, and Jesus comes right up to the tree where he is, and he says, Zacchaeus, I need you to come down. I'm going to have lunch at your house. This guy who all the crowd didn't like, all the religious people turned their backs on, he, Jesus goes up to that guy and says, let's go have lunch. Your house. It's on you. Thank you. Right? And, and here's what the passage says happens next. It says, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Because this guy, this spiritual leader, this one who is something unique with God, he chose me. He came right, he said, me. But the people, the crowd, was displeased. He has gone to, the, to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Now think about this. Jesus goes straight to that guy, and the whole crowd is going, why is he doing that? And my question is, what's the problem? What's the problem? And I think the answer is this. Jesus was moved, and the crowd was not. Jesus loved, and the crowd didn't. Jesus saw Zacchaeus for who he really was on the inside, and the crowd couldn't figure it out. Can I just pause for a second there? There are times when God is moved and Doug isn't. There's times where God is loving and I'm not. There's times where God is mourning and I don't engage. Jesus responded, salvation's come to this home today. I think he scolded the crowd. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. I don't know about you guys, but this guy, yeah. Right? And then he kind of ends with a mission statement. For the son of man himself, Jesus, came to seek and save those who are lost. Why? Because God mourns for lost people. He mourns for them. The last kind of mourning is when I start to embrace God's emotions and become moved by what moves God. I think if God could coach me sometimes, he would just say, hey, Doug, I want you to care about what I care about. I want you to love like I love and whom I love, and I want you to mourn the things that I mourn instead of all the stuff that you're chasing and pursuing and how mixed up you are. Becoming like Jesus is not a moral thing. It's be only a moral thing. It's, it includes caring and loving and mourning like Jesus. Caring, my life has been revolutionized there was a time I only cared about my friends and church, you know, in, in the church, even just people who go to your church. Now I care deeply about those of you who are going, I don't know if God is even here. I care deeply about that. I mourn for you for that. I don't want you to miss out on that. That's, it's, it, there's been a change. And so this last morning is the more I become mature in my faith, the more I start to feel and care about things God cares about and do things that God, I'm not perfect. There's times I'm, I'm not there yet, but this is part of engaging and it's the third morning that I have. So here's where we're going to wrap it up. What would God say to you in your morning right now? If you're feeling mourning in, in your world, I think God would say, it will not last. I'm going to wipe away every tear don't give up. Some of us just need to hear that tonight. For some of us, we're mourning our, our sin, 
I think God would say, good, good morning, but I want you to know something. It's forgiven. And you need to know it's forgiven, and you need to stand up again. You don't need to take your sin lightly or casually, but you need to embrace forgiveness fully in order to live the life that God has called you to live. And then finally, if you're embracing God's heart and you go, God, I'm starting to care about what you care about. I'm starting to love what, like you love and love people like you do. And I'm starting to mourn for the things that make you mourn in this world. I think God would whisper to you, now you're ready. Now you're ready. When you start doing that, you're ready to act and love and live how I want you to act and love and live. You're ready to discover your mission and your purpose and what I've got for you this next day, this next week, this next month, this next year, the rest of your life. It starts by saying, God, what I feel doesn't, I want to feel what you feel. I want to see what you see. I want to live directed by you. I even want your mourning. So I'm just going to close in prayer for those three areas. And uh, you just embrace with God where, where you need to. Let's pray. So God, I know there are some of us in this room right now. We're bleeding. That song was us. It's not time to talk. It's not, it's not that we're, we are hurting so badly. We just need to sit in the ashes with our mouths shut. Tonight was probably hard for those people. God, bring comfort. Bring hope. Be our hope. And God, for some of us, we've, we've been either ignoring or being so beat up by our sin. God, would you help us to mourn it but not be dominated by it? Would you help us to mourn it enough so that we take it seriously but not so much that it destroys us? Would you help us to embrace forgiveness without taking sin casually? Would you help us to be humble and then would you lift us up again so that we can walk and live the way you want us to live and walk? And finally, God, maybe the bravest prayer of all is would you, would you, help, would you help me to mourn what you mourn, to love like you love, to care about what you care about? In Jesus' name, amen.